I am sitting here with Casey McQuiston, author of Red, White, and Royal Blue, and One Last Stop, her newest novel that just came out this past week. How are you doing today, Casey? I'm doing great. It's so exciting to hear both titles after my name. That's like the first time I've gotten to hear that in an interview. So that is making me very happy right now. And I should have added New York Times bestselling novel because you (laughs) currently have two books that are on the top 10 list for the New York Times bestsellers. How does that feel? I I really don't even know how to answer that question because I don't think it's sunk I don't think it's sunken in yet. Like, yeah. I, I think that it is impossible to wrap my brain around. It just feels absolutely mind-bogglingly humbling. And I'm so incredibly grateful for every bookseller and reader and every special Barnes & Noble table yes. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that I have to thank for that. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Our booksellers are huge fans of Red, White, and Royal Blue, as well as One Last Stop. Can you give us a little bit of a synopsis of your new book, One Last Stop? Yeah. Um, Okay. So One Last Stop is like my first book. It's a queer new adult slash adult romantic comedy. And it is about a girl named August who's 23 years old and she's pretty lost and directionless and alone in life. And she moves to New York City to try and find herself or at least find a place where life feels as cynical as she is and of course instead because it's a romantic comedy she finds love and specifically the love that she finds is with this really hot motorcycle jacket wearing woman who she sees on her daily subway commute um, who's kind of sexy and mysterious and charming Mm -hmm. and then it turns out that this woman is actually displaced in time from the 1970s and August is the only one who can help her get back to where she came from. And so the story is sort of about August trying to help Jane solve the mystery of how she got stuck and how to get back while also trying not to fall in love with her along the way. (laughs) Yes, definitely. And we love it. So (laughs) I have to ask from Red, White, and Royal Blue, Mm -hmm. which was a little bit of a alternate reality type of Uh situation but also more grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. Then we transfer to One Last Stop, which has a little bit of like a sci-fi time travel element. What was it that motivated you to write this type of story? I have always been a big fan of genre fiction, whether the genre be romance or sci-fi or fantasy. And I have always loved stories that had some element of the impossible and a connection between two people that could like overcome it. And I, and what's coming to mind right now is like Lost and Doctor Who and stories where literally the stakes are different dimensions or different realities or different timelines. And I've always just been fascinated by that. And I always was also a huge fan of that sort of trend in the late 90s and early 2000s of sort of magical tinged romantic comedy movies. Um, I'm thinking of 13 Going on 30 and Kate and Leopold. (laughs) And, you know, there were some good ones. Um, And so I I just thought it'd be really fun to put my own spin on it. And I was never really sure how to do it until I took a trip to New York after visiting. I visited a bunch of times, but this was the first time I went and like really was a regular on the subway by myself learning Mm -hmm. how to navigate it. And I just found it so magical as which I know now that I live in New York I'm like it, I I hear how silly that sounds 
But for me, like as somebody who is from a part of the country that does not have a lot of public yeah. transit, yeah. it was so exciting. So that like really just like those little fleeting incidental moments that you have with other passengers on mm-hmm. the subway as you're kind of literally moving through space really inspired me. And so I was like, this is my gateway into getting to explore that sort of impossible, fantastical love story. Yes. I, I think that that definitely plays into the idea of New York as a whole and being this magical place. And I can definitely relate to being new to the city and seeing all of its magic and wonder. Having been here for a little while myself, I <laughs> see, I, I read love, uh, the love scenes taking place on the subway. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, I could not think of <laughs> a <worse> place. <laughs> I know, I know. And I, I, there were so many moments when I was writing, cause I really like, I think the reason I chose such a sort of a claustrophobic setting is cause I was really trying to challenge myself because so much of red, white and Royal blue has like literally the world is the stage and they are limited by no constraints of like, you know, it's not possible for me to fly across the world and see you type of thing. And I wanted to really challenge myself to do something where like the setting was really, really small and, and and the stakes were a lot more immediate. And there were so many times that I was writing where I was like, why did I give myself this challenge? This is, so hard and why didn't I pick like a bookstore where she was trapped or like <laughs> like a like a cafe or something that would be cuter instead I'm like how do I make this work <laughs> but I like to think I make it I made it work oh you absolutely did you absolutely did and I think one of the best things when it comes to your stories are the characters and how detailed and just we we fall in love with them instantly and I'm wondering are any of the characters from your stories based on real people in your life? Oh my God. I feel like all of them and none of them, you know, like (laughs) I I feel like, I feel like they're all like their own original thing, but many of them are sort of also patchwork together from people I know or people I have known or people I, you know, neighbors or somebody I dated or, Mm -hmm. you know, like there's, I think that the best character building has that little touch of realism in it. Oh, I'm trying to think. And in one last stop, I feel like Jane is just like kind of a tribute to every one of my butch lesbian friends. <laughs> like there is like every butch lesbian I know has the power to make you feel like totally at ease when you're around them. And I feel like I really put that into Jane. And then like Lucy, who's August manager at the restaurant where she mm-hmm. works who's kind of like this very uh, stern, but secretly sweet Czech woman yes. is very much inspired by like one of my friends from college and somebody who used to work at my dad's office when I was yeah. a kid. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, you just like, you really pull together things from every corner of your life and you don't even realize that, that was something that made an impression on you at the time. And then you're like, oh, wouldn't this be a fun quirk to give this character? Mm-hmm. And so it's not like anybody in any book I've written is like a one-to-one representation of someone I know, but there are definitely characters that have some of like the greatest hits of people I know yeah sprinkled into them like my friend Leah loves to brag that um Nora in my first book is like partially based on her personality (laughs) and she's like that's me yeah (laughs) are there any characters that you personally relate to the most oh my god well I mean in one last stop I really relate to I find Jane really relatable in that this is going to sound silly but we're both air signs with fire moons I'm, um 
I was hoping you were going to reach yeah. the astrology. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I find Jane kind of relatable in the sense of, you know, I think we are both people who are very dogged optimists and it's like, oh, everything can possibly go wrong. And like at the end of the day, once we pick ourselves up off the ground, we're going to be like, okay, and tomorrow will be better <laughs> and maybe it'll work out. And then <laughs> I really, really... I think Alex and Henry both are, were like my own little therapy experiment and like imagining two different sides of my personality and directing. Okay. <laughs> um, August is so different for me that she was actually really hard to write sometimes. Really? Um, she, I think a lot of people think that she's like, semi-autobiographical because we have we're both from southern Louisiana and we both yeah. moved to New York but there are so many times that I was writing her where I was like this is the opposite of what I would do in this <laughs> like if I moved into her apartment with a bunch of like super cool potential friends I would be trying embarrassingly hard to befriend them all and yeah. she's uh I, I don't know what to do about this yeah. like uh <laughs> there are so many times I was writing August that I was like I have to think of what I would do and then just write the opposite <laughs> speaking of all of these characters you do this great job of building a family within a friend group we saw this in Red, White, and Royal Blue. It was like they had their whole unit of friends mm -hmm. and family that came together. They were so supportive. And then again, we see that instantly as soon as August moves into this apartment in Brooklyn mm -hmm. and she meets her, her new family as someone who has never felt like she truly belonged anywhere mm -hmm. before this moment in her life. What is it about that family and that tribe and feeling like you belong? Why is it? that this is such a prominent theme that you choose to put in your stories. I mean, I think it's a theme that's really important to a lot of queer people. And so it is something that feels really true to put into my stories. Like I feel like so many of my stories are about young queer people kind of stepping into adulthood. And so much of being in your early 20s is figuring out how to be who you are. You know, I think that like your teens are kind of about like, who the hell am I? And then your 20s are like, okay, I'm starting to know who I am, but I don't know how to be who that is. And so a lot of that for queer people is finding sort of a community that will act as your closest support system. Like sometimes it's just that your family just doesn't get it. They might be supportive, but like they will never fully know what you mean when you're saying this is my specific experience. Or for some of my characters that their families have not been super supportive. For some of them, it's just that they have a lot of love to give and they want to share it with others. And for some of them, it's just that like has nothing to do with being queer. It's just like my like for August, it's like my mom's kind of intense and like yeah. I need a break from her that I think is a big part of being in your mid-20s is, is finding the people who are going to be your support through you know your really adult years of life and so I think it's partially because I'm exploring a lot of things that a lot of queer people in general experience and I think I'm also exploring things a lot of people in their mid-20s experience and I love that element of writing a controversial term but new adult yeah. um, <laughs> is is that is getting to explored like what comes after coming of age mm -hmm. um, and I think that found family is a big part of of what comes after coming of age definitely definitely when we're talking about this mid-20s coming of age mm -hmm. what is it that helps you tap in to this Gen Z generation <laughs> and and stay up to date with what is happening in their lives. Listen, listen, I just turned 30. And so it is every day I feel older. 
<laughs> every day I'm like, uh, when are the teens going to dunk on me about this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, and, and, you know, and they are right to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think a very important part of getting older is getting dunked on by people younger than you. Um, I think it keeps you humble, but I'm going to be honest. Like one of the things I did to start researching Gen Z a couple years ago was like getting a TikTok, like not like necessarily having my own TikTok, but was just like lurking and like yes. watching TikToks. Cause that's like where teens are. That's like where yeah. teen culture is right now. Yeah. Um, it's like, that's where it's happening. And I have learned a lot from that. <laughs> and then it's so funny. I'm actually like working on my first YA right now. And um, my next book is going to be my first and maybe my only YA. I just had this one story I really wanted to do. Okay. Um, and for that one, I'm, we're actually going to have like teen authenticity readers to, awesome. <laughs> to read over the draft. Because I really am trying not to be like that, like that gif of Steve Buscemi going like, how do you do fellow kids? <laughs> That's what I'm trying to avoid. So I think partially it is, yeah, partially it is watching TikToks and partially it is knowing when you need to call it, like you need to phone a friend and ask like, Hey, like, will your teenage kid read my book? (laughs) You You have some resident teens that you, that you go to, that you keep in your back pocket as a resource. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny. I'm very thankful. I have at least one of my production editors has teenage kids that I can, that we can run stuff by. And then it's always just like, oh, so-and-so has this kid they used to nanny who's like 18 now. And like, we can ask them. And (laughs) I feel like it's good to have like a cross section of like different teens that you can ask because I do think that the teen experience these days is also like pretty broad and there's a lot of different like things going on. So yeah, it's, it's important. (laughs) Yeah. The, the, uh, secret, alliance of teens to mm-hmm. consult on your YA novels. It's out there. Yes. Yes. As a fellow millennial, I can relate. And Gen Z <laughs> loves to drag us and make us feel like we're like one foot out of the grave. So <laughs> I definitely understand. It's but, God. They're yeah. I mean it's important because we were doing the same thing to Gen X when we were their age. We were. And mm-hmm. I think we still are. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it feels a little different. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But yes, TikTok, I think is such an influential asset to the growth and the love Mm -hmm. that especially red, white, and Royal blue has seen like fan art. (laughs) It's, it's so crazy. It's, I love it. (laughs) It's amazing. There's like this one, I don't even want to call him a kid because I am not sure how old he is, but he's, there's like this one guy who like looks a lot like he could pass for a Henry and he does like lip syncs and Henry cosplay. I think I've seen yes, <laughs> he he's so cute. I love him. I like comment on his videos and I like it's so cool. Like people get so creative on there. And I mean the fact that this book has had like Red White and Royal Blue has had this sort of two year later renaissance, mm-hmm. which has been really cool to see. And it's like really thanks to TikTok. I really have to have to shout out the book talk table at Barnes and Noble. (laughs) Yes. Yes. TikTok is really, really influential in books right now. In In everything. Yes. (laughs) Definitely. But especially especially books. Especially books. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like that's like the state, like Adam Silvera has had like they both die at the end has been on the list for the last three months. And that's like a book, I think, from 2017. Yeah. And that is all that is all TikTok that's like driving that bus and it's incredible you know the teens their buying power is They're, bananas it's powerful <laughs> it's yeah. powerful yeah <laughs> yeah you briefly mentioned that you are an air sign 
Hi. I'm also an Aquarius. <laughs> oh my God. What's your sign? I am a Libra. I knew it. I knew you were going to say Libra. <laughs> How did you uh, know? Okay, but I, I don't, you're just like all of the Libras I know have like the most sparkly energy. And I feel like you're, you've got like a little bit of a sparkly energy. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> What's your sign? <laughs> it's a compliment. I'm an Aquarius. Aquarius. I'm an Aquarius and I have an Aries moon and Leo rising. And you're so little, my chart, fiery. it's weird because I cry all the time and I have no water in my chart at all. And I can't figure out where the tears keep coming from. <laughs> An overwhelming rush of passion and emotion. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, I guess that's the fire, but I don't know. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, I do have, I have a lot of fire and air in my chart. I was going to ask you <laughs> if so- you're into astrology because <laughs> One of the things that I noticed, I noticed it immediately in Red Right. I don't know why I can't get that word. It's the, it's so hard to say. <laughs> like I almost like nixed the title when we were first titling it because I was like, I can't say it out loud. In red, white, and royal blue. Yeah. You first mention Henry being a Pisces. Mm-hmm. We find out that Alex is an Aries. He's a, yeah, he's a double Aries. I immediately picked up on all of the the personality traits for these signs, and I was like. I have never read a book where a birthday came up and it didn't just go away. It wasn't just a, like a secondary yeah. thing. You <laughs> stuck with it. And then again, in one last stop, I, <laughs> I was so proud of myself when I predicted that Jane was going to be a Gemini. I was like, oh, <gasps> you know, air sign recognize air sign. I knew it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, she, she travels. She has a lot of different mm-hmm. love experiences. She can't stay in the same place. Easily yes. bored. I was like, okay, Gemini. <laughs> Gemini. And then she's got a Sagittarius moon. Oh um, yeah. It's a big part of my character building process. Like when I'm making character sheets, it's one of the first things I do is like pick out a character's big three. And it not only is helpful just for like summarizing their character, but it's also helpful for me to like, I know if I just know like the basic like theme of their personality, it's like, oh, they're like this type of person. And then I can like kind of deep dive into their chart. It can kind of help inform their character a little bit for me too. So it's like my character building determines the signs, but then also the signs kind of help me build out the character more. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of writers who use astrological charts to help them with character building. And it's really, really helpful if you're into that type of thing. Yeah. It is like a really helpful character building tool. Definitely. So does the, do you choose the sign first? Of the character? Um, I feel like what I usually do first is I, I'm a big fan of tropes. And so a lot of times when I'm like building out a cast, I will begin with just like listing off archetypes of characters or like a certain vibe for a character. Like with Jane, I think one of the earliest ideas I had for her vibe was like Aragorn from Lord of the Rings and like his like ranger mode when we first meet him where he's like he's just like this sort of like super hot mysterious person who's like really got the energy of like I have seen some shit (laughs) and really has it together defends like the little guy but also like has very obviously has like comes from a really complicated background and I was like what if that person but like like a hot woman on the subway wearing a leather jacket like that was like one of the early vibes for Jane and I think I kind of go from there and the plot kind of informs a lot of what I need for Jane I think her sign was very informed by the fact that one of the demands of the plot was that her past had to be really hard to pin down because August is a good detective and I needed it to be hard for her to solve the case Mm -hmm. you know and so I was like okay well she's a drifter and she like doesn't really like to stay in one place for too long and I'm like oh Jim and I (laughs) (laughs) 
So I think it's a little bit of both. They kind of like interplay with each other. But like August, I think from jump was a Virgo just because I was like, I again was trying to push myself to do something really different from my first book. And so I was like, Alex is a very like impulsive kind of like leap before you look type of person. Mm -hmm. And I wanted, I was like, let me try and do something as different from that as I can be, which would be a Virgo. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I think that that was perfect for the part that she was playing as this detective and someone Mm -hmm. into researching and getting to the bottom of things, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. leads me to the next question, which is about true crime, which has definitely seen a resurgence. Uh And I am wondering, are you a crime junkie? I am like, definitely, I'm really interested in true crime from like a psychological standpoint. Like I definitely, I think a few years ago was more into crime docs than I am now. And I like, I really enjoyed I'll Be Gone in the Dark, the Michelle McNamara, Mm -hmm. the book, the audiobook, (laughs) the documentary, (laughs) because I feel like that one is so victim focused and so like survivor focused. And that's kind of like, I feel like August's engagement with like these mysteries is very much based around like the human element of it. Mm -hmm. And I find that really, really compelling and really interesting. And I feel like a lot of what August is, is doing in this book is looking at like Jane as sort of a survivor of a lot of different things Mm -hmm. and also like some other characters that I don't want to spoil like as like survivors of different things and so I love true crime from that like human angle you know when I like engage with true crime I always like to do it from like a victim first type of mindset but I definitely am a huge one of my guilty pleasures is definitely like the unsolved mystery series on Netflix yeah Um, and I love um, I listen to a lot of the podcasts you're wrong about and Mm. they do a lot of episodes that are like true crimey but from a point of view of like here is like how this played out in the media and this is like the cultural effect that this case had like they have a very long series on on the OJ Simpson trial that's really fascinating and I really enjoy like exploring that from like a cultural lens this sounds so nerdy but I love it (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that that's like, that's my my true crime feeling. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of friends who are also into true crime and I'm yeah. the opposite because when it's so based in reality, I just, mm-hmm. it, it makes me so uncomfortable. I'm like, oh my God, this is a real person who- I know, it's so, I used I used to be so much more into it. And then like a year or two ago, I tried to watch a crime doc for the first time in a while and I got through like halfway through the first episode and I was like, I need to go lie down. I feel yeah. really sad. Yeah. So I think that like, I think I, it was something that I was like more into a few years ago. And now I'm, I I feel like I'm really interested in studying like sort of the cultural effects of these big cases that like happen in the media, because that is really fascinating too. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of true crime, we had in the seventies, it seemed like Mm -hmm. there was always a serial killer situation Mm -hmm. going on. (laughs) Yeah. And your story does kind of a time jump to the seventies. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering why specifically did you choose that? So I kind of narrowed down where Jane, like the time that Jane was going to be from based on a lot of factors. Like, first of all, of course, I had to reckon with the history of the subway, you know, because like she, my, my theory from jump was that something had happened that had gotten her 
trapped on a specific subway train Mm -hmm. or a specific line, which meant that I had to pick a time after the subway had been invented and built. And also where like the lines were kind of comparable to what they are now. Like back in the 70s, the Q, which is the train in the book, um, was Mm -hmm. actually like also it was also the B. It was like the QB, but it was more or less the same. But you have to like be careful about it because the subway has gone through so many revamps that like if you do it wrong, you're going to end up doing a whole story set on a train that didn't exist in the 70s. Yeah. You know? And so I narrowed it down based on like subway history. And then I narrowed it down further based on like gay history, because I really wanted, I wanted Jane to have been like out in her time to the extent that she could have been, because I wanted to, I really wanted to get into like some of like the, the like parts of gay history from the seventies. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted it to be a thing where there was already so much so many moving pieces and so much plot happening in this book that like we also didn't have time for Jane to like discover her sexuality I wanted her to be very like openly gay in the time that she lived in right Uh, like again to the extent that she could be at the time and so I ended up choosing the 70s also based on a historical event that caused Jane to be stuck on the train which I will not mention because it's a huge spoiler yes (laughs) So I kind of, I did kind of reverse engineer it from that specific historical event. Okay. Okay. Yes. Very good point. There were, <laughs> there were so many things that I learned about the the subway system from yeah, here. I was just, the amount of like weird blogs I was reading about how subway substations work. And like, yeah. it was, I never anticipated that I would be spending so much time thinking about like how, like how were the rails electrified? Like I, uh, <laughs> I, I was like, I have to learn about it. <laughs> why did I do this? It was good. I was like, there, there was there were a lot of elements that went into the heist that <laughs> that went over my head. I was like, oh man, I didn't even know this was, <laughs> this yeah. was a thing, but pulled it off perfectly. Good I job. know. Hank, <laughs> um, Hank Green actually like recently tweeted about One Last Stop and I almost replied to him like, please do not look too closely at the science because I know that you're like the science guy. And I like really don't, I like, you just have to hold, you have to factor in the variable of the Mm -hmm. magical power of true love for this math to make sense. Yeah. (laughs) So is there anything that you're currently working on in terms of your third book? Yes. So my third book is still unannounced, which is really just my fault because we're waiting until I'm done with line edits to it. So like no one to blame, but myself for that. Um, But it is, it's going to be my first YA. Um, and it's 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 like my other books. It is a, like a queer romantic comedy. This one's pretty like ensemble vibe, and it is set at like a conservative religious high school in like deep south, like central Alabama. And so it's it's very heavily based on my where I grew up. Okay, <laughs> and um, and it's about this prom queen who runs away on prom night, and before she leaves, she kisses like three people, and like those three classmates are like forced to like work together to like follow her trail of clues to figure out like where she went and why she left and what's going on. Um, and of course they all have secrets. And so it's, I'm kind of pitching it as like book smart meets paper towns meets saved. Uh-huh. Um, it's really fun. I really, it's like one of the things I had the most fun about when I was most, one of the most fun with when I was writing is that like, again, I looked at my past work and I was like, what are the things that I rely on? And like, how can I challenge myself to do something without it? And I noticed that 
even if there is an element of like tension that I always have had my two leads be like overall good people who are generally nice to each other. And I was like, what if my two leads are just two like nasty teenage girls who are like trying to destroy each other on purpose? And like, but we still love them. And so I had so much fun doing that. And like the main pairing of the book is just like these two ferocious teenage girls who really have it out for each other. Yeah. And it's, I really, really love it. I'm really excited for people to read it and I'm going to try and finish editing it soon. (laughs) I'm excited to read that one. It sounds good. Thank you. So it sounds like you have had a very productive year with this pandemic. How would you say that it has affected your writing? Oh my God. I mean, how hasn't it? It was, <laughs> I wrote my third book pretty much completely within COVID. Mm-hmm. And a lot of authors are just now like announcing their COVID books. Um, and so I feel like I'm not alone in this. A lot of us like kind of sat down in March and was like, what do we do with all of ourselves? And for me, I really struggled my entire first draft of this book because I write rom-com and to write rom-com, I feel like you need to really be able to access like a headspace of joy and of community and of escapism. And it was really difficult. Like some authors were able to do that because it was their escapism. And for me, I was really, I really struggled to like lock into that headspace and like access that like well of joy that I needed to write Mm rom-com so it was really hard it was really hard and I also think that like so much of my inspiration when I'm writing comes from just like silly little daily moments and interactions and observations of people I like see out and about (laughs) I know I know I have I have like quirks and characters that are inspired by like somebody I sat next to on a plane or like Mm -hmm. somebody who I saw at a coffee shop I still one day want to incorporate like a super hot barista from like a coffee shop in a town I lived in two years ago yeah (laughs) you know And like, how do you have those moments in COVID? You really can't. And so it really cut off a lot of my inspiration too. And so a lot of it was just kind of pushing through and hoping that by draft two, I would have more energy to make it happier. And I did, thankfully, but it was definitely tough. I think for me, I really struggled to, I think just the lack of structure in every day too, just like really makes it hard to get into a writing routine. So the things that helped me most were I just like had my little accountability buddies. Like I had other writer friends and we had a little discord channel where we would literally just be like, all right, I'm writing for the next hour. Like, does anybody else want to do it? And we would just like do these sprints and then check in and be like, I did 800 words and I did 500 (laughs) words. And like, that was one of the only ways I could like break out of the mental block. Yeah. So I guess in that way, I still was able to find a way to have community that helped me write. That's good. But it was, it was tough. And I'm like, I am like, it wasn't really until like the last round of edits on this manuscript that like everything really clicked into place. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's not unrelated to the fact that now it is a little bit easier for me to go outside. So you're new to New York. Did you move to New York prior to the pandemic? Yeah, I, I actually moved to New York about six weeks before lockdown. So I had about a month and a half of like getting uh, to like experience New York. And Mm -hmm. I will say being a new New Yorker at like the very height of COVID, like the very beginning, I'm a lifer now. I'm never going to leave. Like Uh once you live through that, I think, I think once you live through that with a city, it's like, this is it. It's you and me, baby. You and me from here on out. And so, yeah, that was definitely, definitely an interesting experience, but I'm just very thankful 
that I get to live in New York because it's the, like, in my opinion, one of the greatest places in the world. <laughs> it is. It is. I'm glad you still feel that way after the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think if anything, it has, I mean, it has illuminated a lot of like the problems, like on a macro level with, I mean, you know, well, like just like the way that, yeah, a lot of things happen in the city, but it has also illuminated the mutual aid and like the, the way that community looked after each other, after itself. The last year was like really, really, I don't want to say inspiring because that sounds so silly, but it has just been, you know, I really feel like I've gotten to see this, the city really look after itself mm-hmm. in a way that made me feel like, wow, like I can't wait to like be a part of this neighborhood for the rest right. of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that that was happening everywhere. So it was definitely something that was very special to New York. I- yeah. No, it's and like the way I, the just the fact, like when you walk down the street in New York and you pass another person, I think even to this day, a lot of times, like you pull your mask up and they pull their mask up and then you pass each other. If you can pull it back down, that does not happen everywhere. No, you know? <laughs> that does not happen everywhere. Yeah. Um, and um, not to put Louisiana on blast, but I did just recently go home to visit for the first time in a year. And it certainly was not happening there when I was walking down the street. Shouts out to New York. We look after each other. Yeah. I'm, I'm from Ohio. And I also, I, w- I visited recently and it was like nothing even happened there honestly. Wild. I mean, you're walking into a restaurant and it is night and day. I was like, Whoa, this is allowed. Yeah. It was like culture shock. (laughs) I was like, I would be booted so fast from a restaurant in New York. The, the launch of your book and this book tour being, has it been mostly virtual? I'm assuming. Yeah, it was, it was almost 100% virtual. The one kind of semi, and I, I even hesitate to call this an event because it really wasn't. We did um, a midnight release basically where people could come at midnight on the day that the book came out and just like pick up their pre-order. And I didn't tell anyone I was going to be there. I just like, sh- like a post signal boosted their, yeah. their like ma- materials about it. And then I just like went and like stood on, it was very like walk up, like there's tables there. It was yeah. not like, um, it was not, like a browsing situation. It was just like in and out, but it was just so cool to like wave at people from the other side of the table. Yeah. That's the closest I've gotten to like an in-person event since before COVID. Yeah. But yeah, everything else has been virtual. You know, it's interesting as much as I miss physical events and having that time one-on-one with readers, which I really can't get in a virtual event, mm-hmm. there is also the trade-off that international readers have been able to come to my events. And like, I was able to do, I did one event that was like time zone neutral at like noon on a Saturday mm-hmm. with like Talia Hibbert, who I love so much and like who lives in the UK. So it's hard for us to line up our schedules. Yeah. And that one was geared specifically toward international readers. And so like the accessibility and like also a lot of these events were able to have like closed captioning. And so like, I I think moving forward, even as we move back to virtual events, I want to keep like at least a partial virtual element to my book tours because the accessibility is so cool. And I love getting to have that. Yeah, I definitely think that's something that has been a positive that come out of all of this situation is we're getting a lot more up close and personal with our favorite authors that we would not normally get the opportunity to do. So Mm -hmm. it is awesome. For sure. For sure. What books are you currently reading? Oh my God. I feel like I need to go pull out my stack, but I, let me think back on what I just put in my stack. I'm reading Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid, as so many of us are, Um, but it is just like such a summer vibe. Really. I mean, like, how can I wear this shirt and not 
I mean, Malibu Rising. Yes. Um, <laughs> for for the listeners at home, I am wearing what can only be described as Malibu Rising as a shirt. It's just like a tropical button down. Love it. Um, what else is in my stack right now? I brought. I also brought with me "She's Too Pretty to Burn" by Wendy Hurd. I'm like. <laughs> How to Find a Princess by uh, Alyssa Cole. Okay. I'm reading that right now. I'm also reading The Chosen. I like. I have like a stack. So like I've like read a few pages of each, and I'm trying to decide what's next. I'm also reading The Chosen and the Beautiful by Nevo, and I think that's. I think that's all of them at the moment. I also just picked up Somebody's Daughter by Ashley C. Ford, and I'm really looking forward to starting that. Yes. Yes. Do you have a go-to genre? It kind of sounds like you've got a little bit of a mix there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like to read really broadly. Like, I think that, like, it really depends on my mood. I love memoir. I am, like, a really big fan of memoir because I think I, I think the thing that I have that's consistent across every genre is I love anything with like a really strong voice. I love, like, voicey fiction. I love voicey nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And so memoir is one of the voiciest things you can read. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I love memoir. I love romance, obviously. I I do enjoy a little spot of literary fiction when I'm okay. feeling like I want some of that energy. <laughs> I love YA. I really like to, I love nonfiction. I, yeah, I like to switch it up. And like, I often will like read two books at once of different genres. So I can like switch back and forth when I get like a little tired of that vibe. I, and that kind of helps me propel through both of them faster. Really? <laughs> so yeah, no, I like to think I, I like to think I'm a pretty well-rounded reader. <laughs> oh, love it. Love it. I have one more question for you. And yes. this is actually a question I did not realize was so controversial until I started working in social media. Ooh, okay. When it comes to reading, are you a dog ear or do you strictly use bookmarks? Okay, actually, it depends on the book. So if it's a hardback, I always use the flaps as my okay. bookmark. I And I love that because I like to, I love the moment where I get more than halfway through and I get to switch to using the back flap. Um, that always feels like a little accomplishment, like yes. a little halfway point celebration. But when I'm reading paperback, it's really just, if I have a bookmark on hand, I will use it. Otherwise, I will dog ear. Yes. And I am not, I am an annotator. Look, I do stuff to my books. Yeah. Uh, you can tell, like, my favorite books are the ones that have food stains on them. Like you yes. can tell like those are the ones I couldn't put down while I was eating lunch. My copy of Gideon the Ninth has like a huge chocolate stain on it because I think I was like making brownies when I was reading it. I, I love my books and I'm like, I don't like to mistreat them. But I also think that like, what's the point of like loving reading if you have to be like really apologetic and careful about how you treat right. books? I don't know. Like they're, they're friends. You get to have, you get to be a little messy with them sometimes. I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know. I think it's, it is very contentious and I, <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Is there anything that you would like to like readers to know or listeners to know? before um, I always I feel like anytime somebody is going to read one last stop if they've read red white and royal blue before it see I just said it wrong I said red white and royal blue <laughs> red white and royal blue if you've read that one first and then you come to one last stop I always like to tell people that this is a very different book this it feels different but it still feels like like it's going to make you feel the same way at the end it's mm-hmm. like a different formula to get the same answer 
And so I always like tell people like, I would love for you to go in, maybe don't even read the back cover, just go in just like with, you know, an open mind and just like have fun and, mm-hmm. and let it and trust me a little bit. And, uh, and I think it's, it's a great time in my yeah. opinion. <laughs> I did not read the back cover until about midway through the book. And I was like, yes, I wonder, I wonder what it says. <laughs> I love that. And I, I really hope that some people will go into it without reading the back cover and just yeah. be surprised. Yeah. I, I think that's a great way to go into a book. <laughs> yes. Yes. More surprises. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Thank you so much for having me on. This was so much fun. Absolutely. Thank you. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. The show is available on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. 